and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello, Gavin. How you doing? I'm good. This is a very unusual recording time for us. So it is. we are recording Tuesday afternoon and people may be saying, oh, wow, way in advance. No, the episode will be dropping tomorrow. So we have a, uh, it's very last second. So we're going to be recording. I'm going to do my best to get it all edited and everything before I have evening training. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully this episode will still drop tomorrow. And here we are. Yeah, it, it, uh, it was a, it was a hodgepodge of a scheduling snafu over that whole Easter weekend. And before that, I forgot my cord to my microphone I think we and ages now. We should just order you a second one so you can have one at work and one at home. Well, I, I, you know, it's so easy to transport, but the cord, come on. Yeah, it is essential though, because it uh, is. especially it depends. Like for me, I had to buy a special piece to connect to my Mac. So I never forget the cord, but one of the times where I came down to LA and we thought we mm -hmm. might record while I was down there, I forgot the piece that connects the cord to the Mac. So then we couldn't record uh, with my setup and we're like, oh, well, whatever. So it happens, but here we are. We've got a uh, cool movie we're talking about today. Very Def cool. Definitely within uh, the Kung Fu genre, but different than what we usually talk about. So excited to get to that. Otherwise, what's new with you, good sir? Well, uh, had a nice couple of days going out to uh, Palm Springs. Oh, saw, that's saw an where old you friend, went. a great friend, uh, Michael. Uh, he uh, he even uh, opened up the app and uh, subscribed to the show. So uh, I do appreciate how Gavin either tricks, threatens, or convinces <laughs> his friends to follow us and download the episode and so forth. He does an excellent job of that, just like at LA Comic Con, where he was uh, getting people to uh, do I got that. a few people to open up their phones. Yes. That, uh, there it is right there. Touch that button right there. I've got a lot of fake listeners. I mean, friends and family. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, or talk to me about the podcast. I'm like, oh, what'd you think of the last episode? Oh, oh well, you know, oh, oh. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. They're, and then it's always the excuse. Well, your episodes are too long, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, at least you're subscribed, right? Uh, I'm like, that's the least you could do, homie. Just download the episode. Make us think you're listening to it. But, you know, you know how people are. I do. Yeah, yeah. But that's great that you had a nice trip, uh, Palm Desert. So for listeners that don't know, about what, what, what was the drive for you? About two and a half hours? Yeah, like two two hours. We went, we drove on Easter Sunday, oh, came okay, back. perfect. So, you know, it just, it just uh, turned out the, the week had been super busy. And then Sunday, Monday, wide open. So uh, drove out, uh, just had a really nice time. Really great reconnecting. And I have to tell you, I, I kind of put down the phone. Definitely did not take my computer. Excellent. Uh, brought a book, brought two books, and uh, did a lot of reading, a lot of talking, some laughing, eating, <laughs> breathing. Breathing, nice. Uh, yeah, for people that don't know, Palm Desert is Southern California. Obviously, as to imply, it's in the desert. Uh, once again, you know, usually with a normal traffic, two and a half hours outside of LA. It's where a lot of retirees go to, and... This time of year is uh, very busy and prevalent because mm -hmm. the weather is beautiful throughout the winter usually. But during the summer, like the peak summer months, it's almost everything shuts down. There are people that live there year round, but otherwise a lot of things completely shut down because due to the fact that it's the, the desert, it gets very, very hot there. Yeah, and so I think Coachella, a famous music festival, is taking place there next week, and right. in that in that Coachella Valley, the Palm Desert Valley. So uh, everything was sort of like pre-Coachella. So just it was basically a perfect time to go. Excellent, glad to hear it, my man. Uh, cool. So, uh, what about you? What's going on with you? What's new? Oh, uh, you know, same old, same old. Just uh, training every day, training, training hard, getting ready for big things. Maybe talk about that uh, in a couple episodes. But yeah, just training hard. Uh, took a trip down to LA last week. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see you, but I did get to uh, train with Herman and Sugarfoot and see uh, my good friend Danny, friend of the podcast, Danny, uh, mm -hmm. Travel Man Dan, Beer Man Dan, Movie Man Dan. He's got a lot of different artistic endeavors that are all really cool. <laughs> He's actually doing uh, the Hard 75 right now, yes. though. And so 
he's not doing his very popular uh, beer show. He has a YouTube show, a beer one that I've been on now twice, I think. And yeah, that's right. I, I remember like, you did one over the pandemic, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And then I yeah, did, that's right. and I remember then we did one at my house when he came to visit me. So he, we actually did the show from my house up in uh, Murphy's. So, and I noticed like it hadn't been popping up. I thought maybe it fell off my algorithms, but because I said, well, what have you been doing about the beer show? He said, I haven't been doing it. I was like, dang. So he's taking well, good it serious. for that. That's yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. No. So uh, he's looking good and it was fun seeing him. Uh, so yeah, probably going to be back down again this week for more training. Just, uh, yeah, I'm getting it in, doing my thing, training hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty consistent. My life doesn't change much. I'm on a pretty strict diet right now, though. So, mm-hmm. you know, that always changes things up, kind of uh, yeah. can kill the social life. So luckily, well, you know, you have to you have to protect the dream. Yeah, you have to protect the dream, my man. Luckily, I really like doing a super strict diet Monday through Friday, uh, even Monday through Saturday. I have no issue with it's not being able to on like Sundays or, you know, you go to hang out with somebody. Usually the last couple of years, my policy has been Monday through Friday you know, still very strict weekends. I just kind of go with the flow, but right now I can't go with the flow. Yeah. You, you know, it's, uh, I spoke to Don, you know, our, our friend of the podcast, Don Nyam once about like cheat days, you know, I was talking about cheat day, this cheat day, that, and, I, and he corrected me, he goes, he's like, does you really can't afford to cheat a whole day? He's like, you can cheat one meal maybe, but, uh, you know, it, it's, that's something he, that took me time to learn too, but he's a hundred percent correct. That's why I, I prefer, to say like laxed day or even last weekend, like Saturday, Sunday, because I used to do it that way. But I used to be so my Monday through Saturday was so hardcore, like just crazy hardcore. And then I would go all out on Sundays. I would force myself to just eat junk food all day just Mm -hmm. because I could. And that was bad. Not good. Now it's more so, you know, like having I kind of do like what Stallone does. And I I usually, even if I'm going to go quote unquote the whole weekend, I do a 24 hour grace period from like Saturday evening till Sunday evening. But usually if I do like a a big kind of quote unquote cheat meal dinner on Saturday, I'm definitely not doing one on Sunday. It's going to be something slightly more healthy. It just doesn't have to be as healthy. So it's kind of like what Don's saying. You definitely don't cheat the whole day. Or if if it is only Sunday, I'm also not like, let's get donuts in the morning. Let's do this. It's just like in the morning, I may decide to have, you know, half a breakfast burrito with Jessica, right? Like, oh, okay. She ordered a breakfast burrito. They're huge. I'm going to eat half of this. And then maybe later for dinner, okay, we go out you know, I want to get some Asian food of some sort. Okay. I'm not going to worry about what's on it and this and that. So yeah, that's the much healthier way to do it as opposed to just eating a whole pizza yourself. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think you got the right recipe for success. Ah, nice. Thank you. I, I, I know back in the back when I was on regular playing days, the big games for me were always either Saturday or Sunday, which of course, uh, really affected my work week. I was lucky with a few uh, job places where I was allowed to have, where I, my day off was Monday so I could recover. Oh. And then that would be like, I'd have an afternoon cheat meal and it would, I was gluttonous, yeah. gluttonous. I'd have a tummy after that. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it definitely does affect the social life. Uh, but if, if you have like, you know, the people around you who understand and buy in and support, then, then they wait for the Masa's pizza after the fight. Oh, Masa's pizza after the fight. I forgot all about that when we went out for Masa's <laughs> after one of my fights. Won my fight. Not my best fight, but I won it. Uh, and yeah, we went out for uh, Masa's stuffed pizza in Echo Park. Mm. And then uh, Gavin, myself, and Aaron, we went back to my apartment thinking, we're going to have a rager because all of our misses were out of town. Uh, Aaron's now wife was having her bachelorette party with Jessica, uh-huh. uh, my partner. Uh, so that's where they were. And then I'm not sure where Emily was, but so we get, we get a, not a ton of beers, but we get a couple six packs. We go back to my house. We're like, oh man, yeah, we're going to watch Kung Fu movies, drink beer. We put on Kung Fu Hustle. We got what, <laughs> maybe halfway through it. And my eyes are barely open, but I'm still awake. <laughs> but I look over at you two, Aaron is out and you were like beyond out. You are like was out, snoring, out. <laughs> snoring out. And I, I kind of wake you guys up and you sort of wake up and try to act like you're all good. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, so, I, uh, I, I do that well. Yeah. We're, uh, we're still watching the movie. What's up but i'm like i think it's and keep in mind it's not like we drank a ton of beer so no, gavin was safe I, to drive home i think we had 
a beer at dinner and a beer at my house. I don't even know if my beer at your house was finished. Yeah, probably not. So we were all pretty, uh, pretty tired. But that was that yeah. was a fun evening nonetheless. Yes. Masa is great place. I hope it's still open. I don't it's know. It's still there. Okay. It's still there. I think it's mostly takeout. I could be wrong, but it's still there. Well, they opened up another uh, pizza place I liked, like, right next door, right before the pandemic. Uh, oh, I can't think of the name of it right now. They had another one in Highland Park. That was their original location. Do you know which pizza place I'm thinking? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's It's got, like, two letters as their name, like me, like AJ or something. Uh, uh, oh, maybe it'll come to me later. But I was like, oh, dang, that's kind of, you know, competition right there. But Masa's is more than pizza. It's like an Italian restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's get into martial arts movie news. So Mm. right out the gate, the big one that was just, I think it was was yesterday or Sunday. Yeah, maybe. uh, I think it was, yeah, it had to be maybe Sunday our time, but yeah, yeah, hitting Sunday being Uh, Monday. It it was announced that popular Hong Kong actor and comedian, excuse me, Richard Ng has passed away at the age of, I believe, 83. Yeah. So no spring chicken, but he had had a lot of health issues the last few years. He had had uh, kidney problems, like severe kidney problems, amongst other things. And we had just talked about Richard Ng in our Magnificent Warriors episode a few weeks back. So very sad to see that he uh, was he was my favorite comedian within Hong Kong cinema, simply because, as we mentioned that episode with his uh, partial upbringing and education in the UK when he moved over there when he was 16 and him working on British television and so forth. That's, you know, where he got his sense of humor, which was kind of much more international. It was a combination Mm -hmm. of Western and Eastern humor, which he blended very well. And that's why he's sometimes given, given the name of the Peter Sellers of Hong Kong. But even in the Lucky Star series, where there's a lot of, as we've mentioned before, very uh, outdated, highly toxic perverted humor in there he was the gem of having yes that you know he still does his slight moments like that but he also just had genius comedic beats that if you don't find funny like for example even his whole invisible bit in winners and sinners yes. yes he goes into the the bathroom while the woman is in the bathtub but as we find out she has a bathing suit on and it's kind of like wah 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 so uh, but otherwise, I mean, just his timing and the fact that he's one of the only actors from that time to dub his own voice. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, I remember you had mentioned that before. Yeah, the voice that we hear of his is his actual voice. So that was really cool because most actors up until the early 90s had, you know, voice actors that dubbed their stuff for them. So may he rest in peace, uh, condolences yes. to his family. And we'll yeah, definitely I mean, be, it- we'll be talking about more movies with him in them in the future for sure yeah. we've got a lot on our radar because he's just in so many he, he's he's in so many and, and it's uh his the what he delivered quality wise whether it was lowbrow humor or honestly a high art film or as high art as action can get which is pretty high particularly when we talk about films like miracles his presence he always delivers at the highest caliber he and his presence is always you know welcome on the screen yeah uh, so otherwise, martial arts movie news. So let's see here. Ride On with Jackie Chan got its uh, UK and American release, but very limited. Mm-hmm. It's not playing anywhere near me. Uh, so Likewise. that sucks. Well, it's playing in Alhambra and stuff. So that's well, I guess that's yeah, it's that <laughs> Alhambra is closer to me than it is to you. Yeah, this is true. This is uh, a fact. And then this week I or is it this week? Yeah, I think it's this week that Sakura is getting released. But once again, it's not getting released anywhere near me. Kind of sucks. I was really hoping that we maybe get them because we get the movie theater right down the street from me gets a lot of the big Bollywood movies. Mm-hmm. And, but there is a large, uh, Indian Sikh, uh, Pakistani population in this area. So I think maybe that's why, but, uh, maybe in the future, but yeah, unfortunately I'm probably gonna be missing both of those in theaters. But speaking of, well, go USA who releases films and also has the wonderful Haya app last week, the new Marco Zaror film fist of the condor came out. Yes. Have you watched it yet? I have not. Have you? Yes, I have. Oh, so I'm uh, envious. I was hoping to watch it in a theater, but I just haven't like made that effort yet. Speaking of which, uh, our loyal listener, Mr. Vargas, actually went to that screening we were going to go to. That we were going to go to. I didn't mention that to him when he was messaging me. And by the way, folks, anybody listening, I'm kind of I'm not on social media that much right now. I'm concentrating on other things. I just check my messages once in a while and it's been great. Uh, Yeah. But anywho. He messaged me saying like how good it was and how he was at that screening. And I was like, oh, 
Damn, we we missed him because uh, we were going to try to go to that. It just didn't work we out. Al- we always miss him. I th- I forget what screening. But it was a Tuesday afternoon. Like, I know. So- but there was, it's hard. I, I actually just met, as you know, Hard Target is coming up in a couple of weeks at uh, the New Beverly. And so I messaged him to see if he's going to that. But I mean, ultimately, when it's, when it's these afternoon screenings, it's about you know, coverage at our, at our work. Yeah. You know? So, uh, but yes, I did watch it. Unfortunately, the Haya app on my TV, and I don't know if it's my TCL TV. So long story short, I used to have the Haya app through Amazon prime. as like an add on, but the interface kind of sucked. Yes. It Mm -hmm. had all the movies on there, but they wouldn't always pop up. So you'd have to go and manually search for them. It was just getting annoying. So I decided I'm going to cancel it through Prime and just get the app. Because when I first got it, I don't think they had their own app. It was only a Prime add-on because I was one of the original subscribers. So I switch over and now I have the app on my TV. But unfortunately, the streaming quality, it lags a lot. And I don't know if anybody else has this issue. And so... Every few seconds, so it's very choppy. Even Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's a brand new movie, an older movie. There's only been a handful that don't do that. So, for example, when they put the tournament with Angela Mao on there, I can stream it no problem. But a bunch of the other movies, it every few seconds kind of lags us a little bit. And, you know, you can't, first of all, I can't watch any movie like that, let alone an action movie. So I was hoping, oh, brand new movie, maybe it wouldn't have that issue. No, it still did. So I had to watch it on my Mac, so much smaller. And I feel like this is a film that really deserves to be watched on a big screen. So I got to figure that out. I may just switch back over to Prime uh, to get that better streaming because it's, all I will say about the movie right now is I need to watch it again. And that doesn't mean anything good. That doesn't mean anything bad. I need to watch it again because- it's it's a very interesting film. It's more in line with their first collaboration, Kiltro, definitely hitting that artistic side, but obviously also very deeply rooted and inspired by the traditional kung fu film genre. So highly recommend watching it. I just need to watch it again before I can give it a proper review, but a very... I see. I want to just right now just say very good movie, and it is. It is. So it's a very good movie, but I need to rewatch it again to get a, the full grasp of it. Well, maybe it'll be a topic of discussion in, in coming weeks because I know I need to watch it as yeah, well. Maybe it will be. Okay, so let's go into movie quotes. What you got for me, homie? Okay, are you ready for these? Oh, I'm ready. I'm just going to go straight to the voice. I'm just going to do the voices for these uh, okay. characters. Okay, and by the way. You Gavin likes to give me like little hints. I never asked for him, but like in the day leading up, but I'm coming in cold today. He hasn't let me know anything. So let's do this. Well, I I feel like the last time we did the movie quote, it was a little, I I was doing trend, like subtitle quotes that it just doesn't click. So this one, here's the first one. (laughs) I think my laughter is the hint. Bang, you're dead. Okay, Jeff Wincott. In, but what? Uh, oh my gosh! And you just said it earlier in the the text messages you were sending me. Ah, what movie would that be? Final you, Impact or? No, no, you watched this one recently. Oh, bang! You're dead. Uh. Yeah, but what if he has a gun? Oh, oh, oh okay. Martial Outlaw Two. There we go. There you the go. Self defense sequence. Okay, got yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Next one. This one's really difficult. I think the favor gonna be done for you <laughs> that's a terrible impersonation well, we know who that sounds like right now so now i can't get that individual out of my head the, uh inside joke between gavin and i say it again yeah i think the favor gonna be done for you <laughs> i can't do the voice uh lone wolf McQuaid? no no it's I'm, I'm i'm throwing you off with the voice i think the favor gonna be done for you yeah not helping I'm trying to do French here. I think the favor going to be done for you. Uh, hard target? Yes. Okay. Was that supposed to be Van Damme or is that supposed to be Yeah, Uncle that's Duvet? Van Damme. Come on. Okay. That's clearly Van Damme. Okay. I think the favor going to be done for you. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not one of your stronger impersonations. No. But Van, no. Damme, Van Damme's tough. Van Damme's a tough one. Yeah, but yeah, I, that was my regular voice would be closer to his than whatever I just did. Okay, so the movie though... Uh, Oh, is that Hard Target? Yeah, Hard Target. I got it right. Okay, cool. It's uh, the guys are about to mug, and then he says, I think the favor got to be done for for you. I just love like the slight 
Okay, let's try my Van Damme from that scene. <clears throat> so take your big stick and your boyfriend and get out of here. Oh, that's good. It's not bad. It's that's not good. bad. But Van Damme's tough. It's He's a tough one. You got to do any sentence where he says a compound word. It makes it easier to, because he splits them up. Like when he says, yes, boyfriend, as opposed to boyfriend. <laughs> right. So take your big stick and your boyfriend and get out of here. Ah, that's really good. I think thanks. my my Van Damme sounded more like Rob Schneider. Oh, that's actually it, it, he sounded Hispanic. And Rob Schneider has played pretty much every nationality on the planet. He is also obviously multiracial. He is yes. uh, Filipino. I believe he's he's Jewish. He's, he's like, he's very uh, diverse, which gives him that ability to uh, play all sorts of different roles. But we digress talking about Rob Schneider. Let's get into the film we are talking about today. Are you ready? Oh, I am ready. All righty. Today, we are talking about the 1972 Kung Fu classic, The Prodigal Boxer, a.k.a. Feng Shiryu, a.k.a. Feng Sayuk, uh, directed by Yang Ming Tsai, who apparently his English name, according to Michael Worth in the audio commentary, is Ulysses. So we may just call him Ulysses throughout the episode, uh, written by Kuang Ni. And it stars Meng Fei as Feng Sayuk, uh, who is a well-known kung fu actor throughout the 70s not the the most well-known but among genre fans definitely uh reputable and most importantly co-starring yasuaki karata mm. as iron fist tan one of our two antagonists so uh yeah what'd you think this was your first time watching this film it was yes it definitely was and uh it opens different it feels different it closes different than a typical Kung Fu film from that era. It just, uh, so what did I think? Uh, at first I wasn't sure what to think. I, I thought the opening itself felt like I was about to watch a, uh, Japanese, uh, sort of like Chambara film mm-hmm. or, you know, with the ocean crashing. Uh, I thought there's a, there's a middle sequence there, a dream sequence, yep. a nightmare sequence, phenomenal. And the ending is just very you very very unique it, it has a it, it definitely uh, uh ulysses uh direction is very uh unique and a, a unique take it tells it tells a great story of a of a legend essentially yeah you and you are very observant so the reason i picked this one and as i mentioned earlier it's different than our usual entries is because this one's pretty early, 1972. So obviously Bruce Lee had just hit the scene. Uh, this is not Golden Harvest, nor is it Shaw Brothers. So it's one of those in-between ones. And it is part of what has now been coined or what Michael Worth, for example, film expert, director, actor, uh, Bruce Ploitation phenomenon, he has coined the basher genre, which I think is the perfect term for it. I used to call it the rough and tumble Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of in between of when the Kung Fu movie first started. So people have to remember, you know, we had the early Wong Fei Hong pictures, but primarily the martial arts pictures of Hong Kong and China before that pre-cultural revolution were going to be of the wuxia genre. So with the start of the Chinese boxer with Jimmy Wong Yu, we got the birth of kind of the Kung Fu movie. Bruce Lee really kicked it into overdrive. But in those following years from i believe 69 is when the chinese boxer came out to kind of post bruce lee era the the fight choreography was a little all over the place because it was sort of just beginning it was sort of just stepping out of the wuxia genre it was still implementing a lot of techniques and choreography and tricks from the chinese opera but then also doing just only empty-handed and they're like okay well you know how do we film it how do we choreograph it how do we do this the quality of the performers you know whether they were just actors trained in martial arts or martial artists or peaking off opera performers so it's very hit or miss and this one is unique because i feel like its choreography is above most of the entries around that time, even the big Shaw Brothers ones of T. Long and David Chang, I, I like, you know, films or uh, Chen Quan Tai, you know, films mm-hmm. like Boxers with Shantung or Vengeance or any of those. 
uh, I feel, which those still utilized a lot of weapons, knives, axes, stuff like that. I feel like the the choreography and the execution of the fight scenes in this film are a step above, uh, a lot cleaner. The techniques are a lot crisper. And that has to do with our performers and our choreographer being Laogar Wing, you know, who had become an amazing choreographer, director, actor in his own right. But at that time, his brother was the more established in-house choreographer for Shaw Brothers, Laogar Lung. But Laogar Wing is our choreographer here. And, you know, we even see a lot of the UN clan in there as extras and stuff. So it was a film for a lot of guys getting their start. But one of the reasons that I feel like the fights really are so well executed is our director Ulysses his direct inspiration from obviously Japanese cinema which we saw that and that the thing was both Shaw Brothers Golden Harvest Bruce Lee specifically they were all very influenced by Chambara and Japanese cinema they'd bring Mm -hmm. over Japanese cinematographers Bruce Lee did it I mean a lot of people did it they were interested in international cinema and you know trying to learn from these other filmmakers and obviously we have Yasuaki Karata playing just a Chinese character, but being a Japanese martial artist that they brought in. So this would have been early in his career. And so the reason the the fights really come out so well, I feel, are a combination of Laogar Wing's choreography, uh, our director Ulysses, sharp eye, and some unorthodox techniques, but just being very aware of what's going on. I I have a feeling he was a director that was hands-on in there, not a low way in the background, like, yeah, just roll the camera. Or even at Chang Cho, it depends on who you talk to or whose interview you watch. Some say he was very hands-on. Others say he had people just directing for him half the time and he'd be off doing something else. But I have a feeling that our director here, Ulysses, was very involved uh, just because a lot of the unique shots. And then the last factor would be Yasuaki Karada, his incredible abilities and his incredible kicking abilities, which were at that time, you know, the the only other stars we would have seen that would have had kicking ability like that well, would have been our, you know, Korean martial artists featured in mm-hmm. Bruce Lee's films and stuff, you know, someone like Wong, uh, Wong and Sik. And, you know, later, shortly thereafter, the next year or less than a year later, when Taekwondo strikes like Jun Rhee and stuff. So a lot of the Korean kickers, but Yasuaki Karata, whose character is a kicker specifically, just does some phenomenal work. So even on some of the choreography bits that maybe weren't, you know, the most advanced or in today's standards would be kind of not hokey, but just not up to par. They look incredible because of his incredible ability. And then even our star, Meng Fei, I mm-hmm. believe, did a very good job and it's hard to find information on him. I don't know. I, I searched and searched and even in the audio commentary with Michael Worth, I was hoping I would learn more, but I don't know much about his martial arts background. All I can find is that he was supposedly born in Shandong in the early fifties. He seems like a young athletic guy. I mean, but he's also very thin, you know, I don't know, but he's definitely athletic in the sense of he pulls off all the martial arts moves and he's coordinated, which leads me to believe he, he, I don't want to say must've, but probably had a, authentic traditional kung fu background of some sort because the way he executes the moves seems authentic he seems like a young athletic guy and just all those factors combine give us a really cool movie with some fight scenes that you don't expect to be that good from that era because a lot of the films that came out of that era especially if they weren't shaw brothers or golden harvest oh my gosh good god they're gonna be bad they're gonna be real bad you know you may not have people with any experience, your performers may not be that good. It's very like what I think the kind of derogatory term that used to be given to a lot of those films like chop sake. And, you know, it's very much, I hit you, you hit me, I hit you. Hence the, the basher genre that Michael Worth gives it, which I think is a better term, but as I used to call it, rough and tumble, because same thing, it's not exactly as clean. And this one, we're getting some pretty clean execution. We're getting some pretty crisp choreography. We're getting some pretty fast momentum. So there's a lot of unique things that go into this picture, which is why I wanted us to discuss it, because typically we don't discuss films from the basher genre. Our preference is later on, you know, the crisper, more advanced choreography, more into the mid to late 70s, if anything, the the time where Laogar Lung was really able to step out on his own where Samo and Jackie and Yuan Wuping and all these guys, just the Renaissance, if you will. No, it's, it's funny because, uh, this film seems like a time capsule in many ways. It, it, or just cap 
captures films that were being released from Japan of that era. It also has a very Western feel to it in, in places. I mean, essentially the script almost feels like, uh, um, uh, like something Clint Eastwood would rip off for, for uh-huh. Unforgiven, you know? And so it's, and it also seemed like the, the ending is something straight out of a, I want to say kill with Tatsuya Nakadai, or maybe it was Samurai Rebellion where in the end he sees all the people he's killed and their ghosts. And he's like, he's at this, it's a little di- bit of a different film, but in the end he's, uh, he's killing, he's like, being attacked by all the people he's killed before he's gone crazy. Mm. Uh, it's a little, little, definitely different, but it's then you add in the choreography, particularly the execution of Yasuaki Kurata. And it's, it feels, it feels like this film could have been made 10 years prior or 10 years after it just uh, has a little bit of a, not a little bit. It has a timeless quality to it while also definitely feeling like a, pre-early era Bruce Lee Bruce Bruce Lee's influence starting to to hit the market uh kung fu films so it just it it's timeless but it's also definitely made at a specific time very well put and so we should mention it is a story of the chinese folk hero feng saiyuk uh in cantonese or feng shi yu in mandarin however in the film in the english dub they call him feng uh feng su yi right i think is what they call him yes which is not any yeah not any pronunciation of it i'm not sure maybe they thought that would be easier for the dubbers to say but so you know if you would have asked me 20 years ago when i was a kid was feng saiyuk a real person i'd be like yeah you know he's a famous chinese folk hero but uh, you know, from the more research I do and stuff. And obviously even the, the quote unquote, like real Chinese folk heroes or the people we know are real, like real life people like Wang Feihong, we know most of the legends about them are apocryphal retellings of, you know, stories that just never happen. In this case, from what I was reading, it's like Feng Saiyuk is kind of actually a fictional character that sort mm-hmm. of has just been mistakenly turned into a real life he, uh, folk hero, but in actuality, he is a fictional character because I believe maybe he first popped up in a fictional like wuxia novel or something. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. But either which way, he's a very famous Chinese folk hero. There's been multiple films made about him. Even uh, Meng Fei would make two sequels to this film where he played uh, Feng Saiyuk, at least two. Uh, he did, let's see here. He did Invincible Kung Fu Trio was uh, the the last one he did, I think, with John Liu. And then he did Young Hero Shaolin with uh, Flash Lakes Tan. So he worked with two of the best kickers there. But uh, and then obviously, most famously, Jet Li did two Fong Sayuk movies in the early 90s with Corey Yuen, which were very famous and very successful. So I think that's what most people think of when they think Fong Sayuk. But what were the two Jet Li movies? Legend and? No, just Fong Sayuk 1 and 2. Oh, but they did. That's right. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, when they were re-releasing a bunch of uh, Jet Li stuff, they gave it the name The Legend. Okay, yeah, that's okay. But just Feng Sayuk was just what it was in uh, uh, Chinese. But uh, as far as I know. uh, And then so the the famous tale of Feng Sayuk is that. You know, he is is from his lineage is from Shaolin Temple. He was trained by his mom. And then I was reading more on it. It's like supposedly he got into a challenge match when he was 10 and killed a grown man. And then, so then you hear stories like this and you're just like, OK, yeah, obviously not real. And then he fled to the southern Shaolin Temple, which at that point was still around because the northern one had already been burned to the ground. And then that's when he, you know, and supposedly he part of his lineage is what's responsible for Hungar. You know, we are not the uh, the Kung Fu history experts but that's the basic rundown of it but yeah the the famous story is that he was trained by his mom which is shown here so in our film he's already a competent martial artist very competent but he's a rascal you know he gets into fights he gets into trouble and he accidentally kills a guy in a a brawl that breaks out over their gambling over some uh, mantis fighting or some bug fighting. And, you know, he doesn't intentionally do it, but he kills a guy that's a member of a school run by uh, Karata-san and his brother. So Yasuaki Yasuaki Karata, Karata-san, plays, as I mentioned earlier, Iron Fist Tan. uh, And his brother, Ching Wong, plays Iron Fist Qian. So pretty much... Karatasan is the kicker. Ching Wong is the hands expert. And so 
Fong Sai-yuk kills this uh, member of their school unintentionally, but they decide, you know what? That is uh, enough for us to go and attack and murder his family. So they go to his house while he's not there. He's actually out doing a good deed, trying to get back some money that was robbed from some travelers. And while he's doing that, they attack his home, kill his dad. His mom manages to survive with due to her martial arts skills. So she takes him out into the wilderness, if you will. They seem to have a vacation home somewhere. <laughs> it, that seems to be the case a lot when they go off into the mountains to train. Uh, side note, I was just rewatching Mad Monkey Kung Fu today where it, that's not the case because sure enough, they go to do that. I'm like, oh, here we go again. They actually just go live in a cave. I'm like, see, that's more realistic. So anyways, in this one, they go off to their uh, their countryside it villa. Was a, it, it was a nice home. Yeah, and where she goes to train him so he could take vengeance. But of course, he is... Uh, He's still a bit of a prodigal son. Yeah, prodigal son and impatient. He goes once to try to defeat them. They nearly kill him. Then it happens a second time, they nearly kill him. And then finally, he's ready the third time. But he's also matured by that point, And he waits till he's given his mother's permission. So uh, that's the basic rundown of the plot. Obviously, we have a lot of fight scenes throughout. But we also have a lot of very unique camera work and technical yeah. choices, which you were mentioning. Definitely some influence from Japanese cinema. So what of that stuck out to you? Well, uh... I think actually one key element that stuck out to me uh, storyline wise, first and foremost, was uh, the fact that he didn't just fight them once and lose and and then learn. He it 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 does. You know, you and I, we we've trained with uh, we've trained. Obviously, you've trained in martial arts. I train. I work at a school where we train students. We do see that there are multiple fails to a success. And usually films don't take. 90-minute films, 89-minute films don't take as much time to have have that more of an authentic story arc uh, in it. So that was one of the first elements that really stood out to me. Uh, of course, there's also romance in this film. Mm. And the romance is handled with some, I don't know, uh, camera, camera work for romantic comedies and camera work for... Action is different. Editing is different. Cinematography is definitely different. And the so what what captured me is the the romance that took place on on camera. The way that uh, you could see um, see uh, the female character's name. I'm sorry. So uh, so Xiao Ping is what it's credited on as IMDb. I forget what it necessarily, it might be that in the movie, but she's played by Lin Lin Lee, who yes. would later go on to marry Kung Fu star David Chang. And yes. they're apparently still married to this day. So it, with with, the, with her character, you, you definitely, you there's more background. There's more, you actually see more reaction. It's not just uh, often in training sequences, you know, after this, we usually see just the muscles of of our protagonist, like, you know, wide chest shots of like him him holding bottles of, you know, jugs of water, gaining strength. We we see that throughout the throughout uh throughout time and so many uh action films. A, a great exception to this is Rocky Four. When Adrian goes to Russia or the Soviet Union and watches Rocky train, you actually have a little bit of that in this film. You see her watching from afar and you understand what she's feeling for for our for our protagonist so uh the, that's one of the very first things that stood out to me is contrary to what we're used to seeing in these films from this era is the the time the time it took to develop the character but also the time it took to develop the romance between the characters right which uh it it never truly comes to fruition like most films from that time, but there are some interesting technical choices even relating to that. I mean, for example, so his love interest, uh, Xiaoping, is the woman that he helps at the beginning that I mentioned before. Her and her mom are travelers. They get robbed, and so they get back their money or their their suitcases are robbed, so they get back the money that the robbers got for it, but by the time they get to them to give it back. The mom's already committed suicide. So now Xiao Ping's left on her own. And Fong Sayuk promises that his mom will help take care of her. But then he has the events happen where he has to flee. So the reason she comes back into the picture is she inadvertently ends up as kind of like a maid at mm -hmm. the evil villain school. 
And it's funny, as she's watching them train, we have a this uh, interesting kind of, uh, the big boss uh, is what it reminds me of is when, you know, Bruce Lee's character, Chen Chowan is drunk and he sees the prostitute and then it, you know, kind of focuses in and out. And then suddenly he sees his cousin that he's romantically kind of attracted to probably second or third cousin. I don't know. Uh, but, and then they do a similar thing here where she's watching the guys train and then it's almost like, you know, rub your eyes and look. And she thinks she sees Fong Sayuk in there and she cut, but it's her reactions. Like she kind of turns her head like, Oh, and then she looks again and it ends up. It's actually later Kung Fu actor, Tina Wong, uh, uh-huh. who I, my favorite villain role of his is in Hitman and the Hand of Buddha, but a lot of people would remember him from Sneak and the Eagle's Shadow. He's been in a bunch. But uh, yeah, and then she ends up running into Fong Sayuk's mom as she's looking for him when he frantically goes out the first time to challenge the two brothers when he's not ready. And so that's how she gets involved. And then, as you said, she's kind of, then she starts living with them and, you know, she's always wanting to take care of Fong Sayuk and like wipe him down and this or that. And you could tell how much she cares for him. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely more developed than most of those kind of stories that we get in yes. those kind of films, if any, because usually we don't. But I go ahead. So there, there was one sequence and I, I, you, I think you're about to jump into it. So before you jump into that, I, I'm just going to say like one thing that really stood out to me when it comes to 70s film making or cinema from the 70s is there a lot of dream sequences right oh yeah or dream-like sequences even if it's uh and i'm not sure the year of casting the sundance kid i feel like that's late 60s early 70s like the bicycle sequence and there there are other films where all of a sudden it feels dreamlike even if it's not dreamlike i think uh there's a film, uh, The Swimmer, with Burt Lancaster, where he's like swimming from swimming pool to swimming pool. And there's like romantic dream-like sequences as he's swimming on the river of pools up to his home. There, So with that in mind, what I loved about this film is there is a dream-like sequence. Oh, yeah. And what it, and Yeah, yeah. So our, our director, Ulysses, we're just going to use the English name Ulysses. Throughout the film, before this sequence, we're already given a lot of really interesting techniques. We have point of view shots. We have traveling shots, like tracking shots, stuff that Sammo would become famous for later. Yes. But most films at this time weren't doing stuff like that, where they, they would follow people walking in and just pan almost just horizontally across until they're almost out of the shot. It was like, oh, okay. Or following mm-hmm. them from behind. We had mm-hmm. like slightly angled shots, you know, not your standard orthodox angle where you're like, oh, okay interesting juxtaposition where they would cut from one fight scene to the other before you realized it was two different events happening at the same time. And you're like, wait, what? So a lot of cool, interesting techniques. But then in the middle of our film, it's after the first time he gets beat up by the two brothers. We are given this absolute fever pitch dream sequence, which for me just screams like experimental films of the 1960s. Right? Yeah. So there's, it's definitely of that style. And part of the, the dream sequence is slow motion, which is also used throughout other parts of the film, which I feel like we still weren't. I mean, yeah, it's it's slow motion has been prevalent since even like the wuxia genre. But still, this there's this dream sequence where it starts off with just a black screen and we've got blood like coming down the screen. Mm-hmm. Very interesting technique. And you're just sort of like, wait, what the heck is going on? We've got the two brothers that just beat him up. It's hard to tell whether they're in the same room or not, or if they were spliced on. Michael Worth was talking about how he, the same thing, doesn't know, but he thinks they were in the same room. And so they're in slow motion doing their different techniques. It cuts to our protagonist, Fong Sayuk, just lying on the ground, like screaming, like, ah! The English dub doesn't help, but it's, ah! And he's in slow motion, like crunching up, like, ah! We've got the blood coming down the screen. We've got close-ups of the brothers at that point, like doing their techniques in slow motion and yelling, like, Ah! Then we cut back to Fong Sai. You go, oh! It's very experimental film of that time. Uh, for some reason, the first movie that popped in my head, and I can't think of the name of it right now, was, uh, and it, it's not really related, but it's an experimental film from that time, was Jim Henson did a film in mm. the late 60s, a short experimental film, uh, Time Something. I forget, but just kind of the crazy nature of the sequence made me think, okay, this is something like we would have seen in easy rider acid trip sequence yes or yes, something exactly, like that exactly <laughs> and you know it's you know it's an interesting about this film so when i first sit down to 
hit play, I'm like, did I hit play on the right film? Because I, I'm about to see the Shochiku like title come up. It, it or looks Toei like Toei. Toei. Like, yeah, yeah. It's opening. something's going to pop up here. And then I'm used to seeing a lot of films from this era, not necessarily always from this era, uh, all the films from this era, like a martial arts sequence where they're kind of demonstrating what you're going to see in this film. This dream sequence happens more than a third, maybe close to two thirds into the film, maybe at the halfway point. I'd say probably the halfway point's inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. And then that, so we're essentially seeing a martial art demonstration of the, of the martial arts that we will see in this film at the halfway point woven into the narrative of the film. So it, it, it makes sense. Uh, it's almost like Ulysses is saying, I will not follow the norms, even though it may not have been the norm by in 72. I don't think it was. I don't, I'm not sure. Exactly. Not really yet. We, we hadn't really had uh, the kind of opening display of martial not arts until like sequences 75, yet. right? Yeah. More around that time, because at, at this time, 72, something you're thinking like, I mean, not you, but, what you'd have typically are kind of like the opening of the big boss. We've got like yeah. the, the still images coming across the screen, you know, yeah. like King Boxer, AKA Five Fingers of Death had something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, more of that nature. So but what what I appreciated from this is all of a sudden that that demonstration that we would eventually come to know happens right in the middle. And it just seems, again, it, it feels like it's a film that could have been made at any time. Uh, and and the director is is clearly Ulysses is c- clearly like a student of film, and I looked up the cinematographer as well, and there are only there are only uh, five titles to his name in on IMDb. Yeah, that's it's uh, always a tough one, especially with guys back then, and you yeah. know their name being slight, they may be under a different name on IMDb. Yeah, uh, but, even even myself on the projects I've worked on in the past, I have I think two different or three different actually yeah. <laughs> IMDb. So. Because it's not anything I've ever monitored or cared about, but yeah, but it's it, it's it's very interesting. This film is shot very uniquely. You're you're right about the tracking. You're right about the POV. You're right, like there's a sequence where he falls down. He gets kicked down a you know a pretty rough patch of yeah. hill. And I what I was gonna say is some of the stunts in this film might not be as uh, epic as Rumble in the Bronx, Jackie Chan dropping from one building to the other, where it's Okay, he's he's risking his life to an extent. He is. But in this film, uh these stunts are painful. Yeah. Oh yeah, they do They're some painful. drops, some falls on the tables the chair, and so forth. Chairs breaking. Yeah. As I mentioned, we have a lot of the UN clan in there who'd become major stuntmen. I know like Brandy Ewan's in there. Uh Lao Gar Wing pops up in there, our fight choreographer. Uh Yen Shi Kwan, who had become a great Kung Fu movie villain, you know. Lay, a few and then, years uh, later, uh, in, my, one of my favorite faces, uh-huh. Fung Harkon, Harkon Fung, right? Fung Harkon, yeah. So he's in there as a good guy. He's like one of yeah. uh, Fung Sayuk's friends. So it's weird. You're like, oh, he's a good guy. But yeah, Yen Shi Quan, who would uh, be the villain Fearless Hyena, and then later Once Upon a Time in China, Iron Monkey, a bunch of those movies. So yeah, a lot of familiar faces. It's hard to keep up with all of them. But a lot of these future players were there, and they also get some screen time doing some fighting and stuff. So yeah. With the fights, let's focus on that here at the end. As we've mentioned, the choreography is definitely still not as fluid as a Laogar Laogar long film from five or six years or seven years later, whatever. You know, it doesn't have those long, extended, super fast, crisp choreography, but it does have some moments like that. As I said, a lot of the the best stuff comes from Karatasan's kicks. Because oh, yeah. he's he's able, once again, just to accentuate any fight scene he's in just by kicking. You know, he's got such beautiful lines and flexibility and technique. And even some of the stuff is a little awkward because it's almost like they're like, well, we've never had a kicker like you. How do we do this? But it just looks so good. And mm-hmm. it gives something for Meng Fei to feed off of. And, you know, he holds his own, right? And he conditions himself under his mom's training to be able to beat their strong suits and we get these fights where I'm not distracted in the point of like, uh, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, oh, it's keeping my interest. I like this fight scene. You know, this is a lot of times when I watch watch films from the basher genre or I used to as a kid, I would just be, okay. You know, and they'd come in my 20-pack DVD uh, that uh, like box set I'd get at Best Buy 
I'd skip a lot of them, right? There's a few in there I'd want to watch, but some of those older ones, especially, you're like, okay, whatever. The fights are very hokey. It's very much karate chomp, for lack of a better term. Punch, kick, ugh. it's very one, 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 one. Here we're getting <laughs> a little more intricate choreography. We're getting yep. some hard hitting choreography. We're getting some complexity. We're getting some authentic kung fu moves, which comes especially from Laogar Wing's authentic hungar background, right? So we're getting some actual punching, blocking techniques outside of just basic Peking opera choreography, you know, of a lot of times where it's almost like it looks like they're slapping hands kind of, mm-hmm. but just because, you know, when you adapt it specifically from the stage, it looks a lot different. When you're watching on the stage, you're watching it from a distance, you know, it's just more so about uh, giving the audience something they can see in that perspective but trying to transition that directly over to film doesn't necessarily work. So here we're getting some more real life Kung Fu, if you will. I, I would concur. And I, I think, uh, I think his mother did quite a nice believable job on film as, as trainer and also as a on-screen performer. I, I felt like the fight sequence uh, when Yasuaki, when the two brothers come to uh, essentially rough up and kill the father, they the mother defends herself quite well against these two this two prong attack. A hundred percent agree. Like she throws down, and even some of the stances she does, you're like, dang, she's she's there to fight, and she has this intensity to her. Now the actress Hung Pai, I'm not familiar with her. Michael Worth seemed to be more familiar with her as it, as if she had been around for a while, because I guess she only. This is one of her last films. I can only assume she maybe started as early back as the 50s. And obviously, if it was around that time, you're going to be working for Shaw. They're Shaw Brothers. They were like the only major player. I, I tried looking her up. Now, according to him, she was only 16 years older than Mang Fei. But according to IMDb, she was born in like 1929, putting yeah. her like more, you know, at this point, like 40 something. But she doesn't look 40 something. I think Michael Worth has the more accurate uh, age range because she I, I looks think so. maybe she, she, I think Meng Fei was like 18, 19, 20 years old at the oldest. He's very young in this film. And so she's maybe mid thirties at the oldest. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. She, or she, she looked like an older, an older sibling. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I unfortunately don't know much about her. I did some looking up and, you know, she has a filmography up before that, like through the fifties and sixties, nothing I knew though. So, uh, but maybe she was involved in more than I'm aware of. But she does an excellent job. And even in the sequel, she doesn't come back. She's mentioned and I guess shown in a flashback. But uh, yeah, that she this would be her last time playing the mother role of Fong Sayuk. And I guess one of, if not her last film in general. But she does an excellent job. She's she believable does. when she fights. She's believable as uh, his trainer pushing him, you know. And uh, we do get some slight training montages uh, sequences as well. Nothing like that would be evolved later on and not even montages really. I take that back. Not a training montage. We get training sequences, which even that was kind of a newer facet to the Kung Fu film. Yes, I know as early as uh, the Chinese boxer with Jimmy Wang Yu, you know, we have him learning the the secret technique to beat the Japanese fighters and so forth. But I feel here we have some, you know, they're using a lot of different modalities, right? He's got the leather men he has to beat up in the forest. They've got the the logs that she hits him with to toughen his body as he's like walking across other logs. A lot of old school Kung Fu training elements. So that was a cool little factor too. So we can see, oh, this is how he's going to condition his body to beat these guys' attacks. Because they always fight him in pairs. Because actually, by the time he fights them the second time, you know, he's been training uh, in seclusion with his mom. He's actually good enough to beat them individually. Remember, he, yes, he and Karata-san you're, you're compl- are going toe-to-toe, hit for hit. It's even. It's evenly matched. And even – so the first time he fights the brothers, I feel that's how he was with the fist-fighting brother. They were actually kind of equal. Then Karata-san yes. was much better than the two of them. They always fight him together. The second time, he and Karata-san are going toe-to-toe, like evenly matched. And then the other brother shows up and then they, you know, they're like, ha, 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 we're victorious. I'm like, man, you guys are punks. You, I know. Yeah, like, Tell me, like, yeah. there, there's so many times there, like we talk about emotional content. Right. Like, this movie had a lot of emotional content. I'm like, at what point it does their master intervene? Like, hey, don't, like, hey, Guys, fight him one on one on one, not not two on one, but no, he's totally encouraging it. 
And like, well, to, I'm not really sure if he's their master or he's just kind of like a local guy they work with. Also, a, <laughs> a criminal right. general of some sort. He's all about it. He's like, uh, uh, yeah, he's uh, all about it. He and then won't he then, be inclined to challenge you again if he survives. <laughs> well, it's funny because the movie is like the movie is essentially like hell bent on revenge. This is just revenge yes. for revenge, and one revenge is not as justified as the other revenge. And it's it's how it's like the you know that's it's what's great is like this film actually you, you can pull lessons from it. Like how hard do you go for revenge and is revenge, uh, something to be play at. And then when the, when the old master or the friend, the, the a colleague decides to go, uh, get involved. He, it's his own sword that, uh, takes the life of, uh, his students or, or, you know, you know, he just, and then it's own sword that takes his own life. Um, yeah. And so, then the other aspect is, you know, we, we've, you, we, uh, age and I just don't talk. We, we don't only talk during the podcast. We also talk over the week with voice memos and text, et cetera, et cetera. And we've been talking about a lot of straight to video martial art films lately uh, and how some are, well-produced some have might have fight sequences or performers who might not be able to execute in the way that we're supposed to believe they execute what i like about films like prodigal boxer and so many martial art films really but films like prodigal boxer where maybe your protagonist is not at the caliber of yasuaki kurata as a martial artist they they show training sequences so we can start to buy in so often in in western martial art films or straight to video films your your protagonist is already like oh he's already as strong as he's going to be is there's no rocky sequence where rocky loses and has to come back you know your 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 protagonist from minute one to minute 89 super strength the whole way through whereas this film shows the training sequence shows the mother hitting him with like you know, a huge wooden, like basically like a, uh, what would you call it? Like a prong to hit one of those, uh, temple bells. Yeah. She's like hitting him with that giant log, giant log. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it's, it's like the, you see these training sequences and, and, you know, tr- truth be told, if we want to better ourselves, we have to work at it. We have to train at it. And, and you don't always see that in, in films that are, that are rushed out for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Excellent point. And then, yeah, so that's the film in a nutshell. At the end, uh, we, we kind of mentioned before, but yeah, there is a final like competition where, because it's so funny, they have to navigate around all of like the legalities where I'm Tom Fonsayuki and his mom. The, the other two seem to just be able to f- fight and kill whoever they want and not face the consequences. But they have to be very careful. Like, oh, she's like, if you just fight and kill them, then, you know, you can go to prison. So it's like, he has to formally challenge them. So the film ends with a uh, competition. He ends up winning and all three of the bad guys, the two brothers, and then the other guy we mentioned, they all die. They all have it coming. Uh, and then, but it is interesting. Like we do get the classic, like this is the the end, but he also has, you can see, it gives a couple seconds. There's a couple beats, more than a couple seconds. There's like uh, 30 seconds almost of him just kind of looking on like what has happened. And once again, there's this interesting cutting and editing there where it's like the crowd leaving cutting back to the competition, crowd leaving, cutting back to what we just watched. And then until finally, it's like he's taking it all in and then they walk away the end. So final notes on this film. What did you think as your first time watching it? Um, Loved the opening sequence. And then I was like, I don't know. Is this, this, is this, is this going to jump off the page for me? Is this going to be one of those films that I remember? And then we... Yeah, so Aki Kurata starts kicking, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I like it. And then uh, dream sequence, I'm like, oh wow, this is uh, this is good. And then within the training sequences, there's also rest and relaxation sequences, and I'm like, oh okay, this is a uh, this is a different kind of movie. And then the closing of the film, where you know everyone, all, all the antagonists have passed on, have been killed, have killed themselves inadvertently, and then there's not full celebration. There's remorse. I'm like, this is a movie I'm going to remember. Mm-hmm. This is distinctly different. Made it follows the same formula pattern. It maybe even was part of creating the formula pattern. But at each point in the on the fork in the road, it shows a slightly different path to take. So I completely enjoyed it. I'm probably going to watch the rest of the series. I suspect it won't live up to this, and that's okay. Yeah, and. 
for anybody wanting to watch this film, definitely watch the version on Tubi because it is the remastered version that Michael Worth released through uh, his uh, company. Oh my gosh, now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Grizzly Pictures. Uh, Grizzly Peak Pictures? Yeah, anywho. I highly suggest, first of all, buying the Blu-ray. You get two movies with it, Awaken Punch and Prodigal Boxer, two of the best from the Basher genre. Highly recommend it. Once again, more of these Blu-rays we buy, the more we'll get released, et cetera, et cetera, including sometimes some more classic ones that we know better. But it's a beautiful remastered version of it, and it is available on Tubi. Now, there is a version on Prime, so but don't watch it. That is not the remastered version. It's a really gritty, old, crappy-looking version of it and i know you're you might be thinking oh well i have prime for free and it has no commercials trust me watch the remastered version on tubi as opposed to that old grimy version on prime and or buy the blu-ray because once again you get the awesome commentary with michael worth and matthew from uh the clones cast uh so on that I know, note, I, i'm missing i'm missing out yeah it's it, I, you get I, I know i'm missing out on that note uh for language corner i figured since the film finishes with a competition I will teach us how to say competition in Mandarin. Very simple. Once again, all of my language corners are simple. So, you ready? I'm ready. Bi sai. Bi sai. Yep. So, bi. Bi. Sai. Sai. Bi sai. Bi sai. 这个星期我有一个比赛. Sure,吧. Yes, this week I have a competition, right? Which I don't. That's Wushotola. I I I said incorrectly. I don't. But you know, or you, you can say I need a B side. So I'm a young like how was your competition? Uh et cetera, et cetera. Or you know, you, you could just put uh the the sport and then the competition, right? Like so for me it's oh Taichun, the B side, you know, like Muay Thai competition. For you it'd be like Zuchio, the B side, like soccer competition. Need a B side, sure how ma. Okay, yeah. So need the okay. Hao Hao or Hao Ma. Yeah. So is your competition good? All right, cool. I can dig it. Yeah, your uh, your Mandarin's better than my Japanese. I'll say that. So anywho, uh, any final uh, notes? Oh no, I had a lot of fun. I'm glad you picked this film out. Excellent. And we'll be recording in the next uh, probably this weekend. We have some ideas, but yeah. Anywho, it's been fun, and I'll catch you later. Sounds good to me. Peace.